This is episode 7 of SEO Snippets for March 31st, 2020. Two articles for you today. Uh, The first one is, No one's buying your product now. What should your growth team do? By Barbara Galiza. And number two, Google Discover. An image could be worth 1,000 clicks. Case study by Brody Clark. Let's get into the posts. Article 1. No one's buying your product now. What should your growth team do? By Barbara Galiza. It's posted on medium.com. Let's jump in. My local bakery has a one-week wait queue for sourdough, but I'm assuming you're not seeing the same demand for your product now. If you are, e.g. Slack's Q1 earnings, then it's clear what your growth team should focus on. Onboarding and activation. Here are five activities that acquisition growth and performance marketers can work on during pandemic times. Number one, acquire cheap leads through performance marketing. CPMs could reach an all-time low during this pandemic. This research from performance agency Nest says global CPMs, that's cost per thousand, for e-commerce have already dropped by 50%. If you rely on outbound sales, this is actually a great time to invest in lead generation campaigns. Use gated content that's extremely relevant for times like these, e.g. this blog post. People are hungry for information and if you can provide them with valuable knowledge at difficult times, you will see the uptick in your click-through rates. You're likely to pay half price for a lead and most importantly, you're helping your audience out with your expertise. Number two, execute on evergreen initiatives like SEO. Invest in SEO today. See the results six months down the road. Well, like they say, no no day but today. If you're a product-led growth company, you already know how it is. Focus your acquisition strategy on scalable activities that bring you compound growth. That's SEO. Start building a library of content, define your topics, your audience, create cluster pages, review your meta titles and descriptions. Number three, optimize your funnel. Disclaimer, this should never be a break in case of pandemic activity. If you're not constantly optimizing your registration, activation, reactivation, and forgot password flows, you're likely missing out on some big wins. How big of a win? I did data modeling research for a B2B SaaS startup, and this is what I saw. Quote, an increase in visitor to trial conversion by a 1% point would lead to a 30% increase in ARR two years down the road. How is that possible? It's top, it's top of funnel, a small increase there trickles all the way down. This company mostly grew organically through word of mouth, but most importantly, through being discovered in the wild. The more companies use their product, the more companies they would acquire. This means a funnel improvement that would lead to one additional trial in day one would mean that by day 730, they would have three additional paying customers. Point four, refresh your retargeting and branded search campaigns creatives. Let's assume that with this pandemic, the need for your product has decreased. People are not Googling for the problem you're solving. Prospects don't want to talk to you on the phone. Realistically, who can you convert? Those that were already considering buying your product. Give your retargeting fresh assets and maybe throw in a special offer. 
This is also a good opportunity to remind them of the value of your product. A webinar or article could do a great job here. And last but not least, point five here, we have review your attribution and taxonomy. Story time. I wrote over 20 white pages on performance marketing data for a big tech. These topics were for CPM trends, post GDPR, and targeting accuracy for certain exclusion audiences. For each white paper, I spent around 80% time on research and 20% writing. Out of the research time, 20 to 30% would be reviewing and fixing the campaign's naming conventions. If you don't have a naming convention or if your naming convention has errors, you're limiting what you can learn with your data or worse, you're basing your decisions on incorrect information. You should have a defined taxonomy for all of these. Your Google Analytics or Heap or Mixpanel, etc. Uh, your UTM tags and your performance campaigns. This is the most common mistake I see at startups when it comes to data. They will implement multiple analytics tools, even Hotjar, but they don't define a naming convention. A lot of the data is often rendered useless because of this. And that ends the article here, but a couple of points, let's reiterate there. Uh, so we saw that Barbara is saying that we should, number one, uh, look at our CPM marketing. So if you're spending money on, on Google AdWords or potentially even Facebook, you know, you're paying cost per thousand impressions. Right now, cost per thousand impressions, at least in e-commerce, have half, so at a 50% discount, people are pulling in their marketing budget. If you've got the budget right now to reposition yourself or to continue to press your advantage, now is the time to get double the amount of impressions, double the amount of eyeballs on your uh, brand, on your advertisements, than you would normally. Number two, SEO. Again, DD, double down. Uh, she's saying here that, you know, being able to build and construct your your um, web presence right now while everybody's busy writing about coronavirus and things like that, you should be doubling down on your SEO and your content marketing for uh, articles that are related to your business and your industry. You might see any feedback from this immediately, but now's the time to start doing it and publishing it and reaping the rewards later. Number three is squeeze your funnel. Make sure you've looked at the optimization of your funnel from the start to the end and make sure you're squeezing out as much optimization as you can, as much conversions as you can. Get your signups and your, your product buys or you know your, your Zoom meetings, whatever it is for you. Make sure you squeeze people into that next stage and continue to optimize that now. If you can't bring more people, if, if your industry is not um, very, uh, productive right now if there's not a lot of people looking for you the least you can do is make sure the people that are coming to you are really moving on to that next step number four refresh your retargeting people have already seen you uh, maybe you did try and squeeze them in that funnel but they just haven't got there yet now's the time to refresh your retargeting and you know double that up with point one retargeting is generally cost per thousand right you can use that half price to hit more people with your retargeting, hit more people for half the price, hit more people more often potentially, you know, uh, increase your limits from two to four ads per day per person. And number five is review, review taxonomies. This probably won't drive anything for you immediately either. I, in my opinion, the best thing you can do with reviewing this is make sure you do it, make sure you've got a convention. You may squeeze some extra um, learnings out of this if you do review this now, 
But if you don't have this in place, setting it up now means that you're always gonna make better decisions in the long run, which obviously we all wanna do. That being said, again, that was Baba Galiza uh, on her Medium blog. Uh, if you do a Google search, you can find that. I will put the link in the show notes. Let's move on. let's jump into article two here this one's going to be a bit of a lengthy one with a few bits and pieces I'm going to have to describe for you so stick with me here I believe it's well worth it in the end Google discover an image could be worth 1,000 clicks a case study by Brody Clark uh, this was posted on March 19 uh, but it's so relevant I believe and so underutilized in SEO that we should be digging into this more and people like Brody are definitely on the forefront of what we should all be doing uh, looking into this and making sure that we're optimizing our websites for Google Discover. Jumping into the article, Google Discover has been visible on the homepage of Search since September 2018. It's also available in the Google app on Android and when you swipe right on the home screen of some devices. I personally have a Google Pixel 2 uh, swiping right, I believe it's left actually, uh, shows Google Discover. I didn't realize how much I do that until recently. Once you get bored with Twitter or Reddit or Facebook or whatever, sometimes you pick it up and you'll swipe and it's surprising how long you'll spend there. Uh, I encourage you to just check that out yourself. Um, but moving on. Reporting of discovery traffic only became available within Google Search Console six months after launch, making the traffic source still feel in its infancy. I'm a consultant, get to work on some pretty exciting projects from time to time many of which have a component that involves strategizing around Google Discover. For some clients I work with, the sheer volume of Discover versus web traffic is startling. It's not unheard of, dependent on the industry, to have 80% of traffic being Discover with only 20% being from web search. We've also learned that there is a connection between core updates and Discover, the algorithm which powers search, proving to have more similarities than what was once thought. For this reason, Google has said not to rely on Discover as a traffic source. Now we get to more of the meat of the post, we talk about the bizarre world of Google Discover. I wanted to start by pointing out how truly bizarre the SEO world has become for some online businesses. For one client that I work with, here's what Discover looks like for a single article they published. And here he's got a graphic from uh, Google Search Console where you can see day one of publishing the article was about the 25th of July last year. You can see day one they have a spike of almost 15,000 clicks in traffic, um, which tends to drop off very rapidly within a three day period. By day three, uh, 27th of July 2019, we see that we're under 5,000 clicks in traffic. Uh, I would say we're probably looking at about 2,000 clicks. So day one, 14,000-ish clicks. Day three, 2,000. So it's a huge spike on a very new article. Brody says, that's a pretty common situation too. You rarely see an article last longer than three days in Discover, resulting in a significant and temporary uptick in clicks and impressions. So this particular article received 21.7 thousand clicks and 130 thousand impressions with an average click-through rate of 16.7% in just three days. 
But surely you might be asking that the article must be receiving big numbers via web search as well. Well, Grody's looked at this as well, and he says here that uh, with a nice little graphic as well, also from uh, Google Search Console, you can see that uh, the data for the same post has, a, on the published day, we see from Google Search, 24 clicks in total. Uh, we see that drop off very significantly pretty much immediately. I would say maybe a two day period. Uh, this is a little bit more zoomed out, so it's much harder to tell. Uh, but we see it zoom out very quickly to receiving less than eight clicks a day. Now, uh, it says here that the total uh, amount of clicks from the time period of that being posted in July until uh, the end of December last year was 353 clicks for 15.3 thousand impressions. So Brody goes on to say, so in Discover, the article received 21.7K clicks in three days versus 353 clicks in web search over the full lifetime. That's 61 times more clicks via Discover compared to web search. Let me repeat that again. 61 times more clicks via Discover because you're more discoverable there. Obviously, given the name. <laughs> this kind of makes sense considering the popularity of Google Discover but this is technically an SEO channel, hence being in Google Search Console. But what control do we have over the traffic source? You could easily say we have very little control, but I believe as SEO professionals, we do have some control. So let's first look at a case study. Now I won't read this case study for you out end to end, I'm just gonna try and skim this as well. So case study, how my SEO blog ended up in Google's Discover feed. For any site that I've worked with, what is looking to uh, that is looking to receive discover traffic, I find there to be, always be that breakthrough article that makes them more likely to be considered for future pieces of content. Brody talks about in this section his piece of breakthrough content, which was a piece of content he produced uh, very quickly, I believe, in an afternoon around FAQ schema and implementation of that. Um, so you can see here, he shows us a graphic of his website traffic uh, over the past couple of months. So it looks like about the beginning of January to more or less uh, middle of March, about when this was written, I would say. And you can see here that he's pretty much averaging less than 500 sessions per uh, month here. No, sorry. I would say it's probably about, let's give it a round number and say a thousand impressions he received in January. His big break for discovery here seems to have happened uh, in March when he posted that, around about the beginning of March, end of Feb, and we can see that uh, the, the highest peak of sessions that he had prior to that was 250. Posting that article, he got a bump up of about uh, almost, a not a thousand quite, uh, looks like here we're about 800, 700. Um, managed to receive 482 clicks for that article um, from 4.9 thousand impressions over three days. So 482, 4.9, roughly 10% click-through rate because he was featured in Discover. Uh, so an extra 400 clicks um, over three days just from posting and getting featured in Discover. Uh, the important part of this section here, we're going to dig into the Google's documentation for Discover. So, um, within Google's documentation for Discover, which I'd highly recommend reading, it states the importance of using high quality imagery in your content. 
with six references to images. A summary of the main references include 1. Use high quality images in your content. 2. Make sure your images are large instead of thumbnails. 3. Aim to have images that are at least 1200 pixels wide. And 4. Ensure Google has rights to display your images either by using AMP or filling out a linked form in this article which you can find obviously in the show notes. So it's very important to note here that Brody, when he posted this, posted his um, his article with a very uh, eye-catching image, right? Uh, so he says here, I put this article together myself. I'm no graphic designer. With a screenshot of Google search results, along with a person breaking through the page with the Google logo on their face. But there's more to this image than just slapping on the page. The image used in my client's article that received 21.7k clicks supports this idea too. All of the criteria from my research and Google's recommendations were being satisfied in that scenario. The CTR for that article was 16.7%. I find that the CTR for discover content is generally closer to the 8% CTR mark. So if that CTR was applied to the 130,000 impressions, assuming they were to stay the same, that would mean the image as a contributing factor delivered 10,000 additional clicks to his client. Including what I can see from his graph above here is probably around about 400, uh, 500 extra clicks to him as well. So he goes into then uh, how to create killer Google discovery worthy imagery. Uh, so I'm gonna brush through this as well. Number one, as a starting point, you wanna make sure that your image sizing is on point. Make sure your featured image and open graph image is 1600 by 840 pixels. If you don't start there, you're missing a big opportunity. Now we haven't talked about open graph yet, but I'm about to get into this for you. Twitter is my platform of choice when sharing posts. They seem to get a, he seems to get a lot more clicks there. So I always use their card validator tool before I share anything to make sure there are no issues. LinkedIn and Facebook also have their own versions of this tool. So if you haven't used this before, uh, you've probably seen it when you share an image on Facebook or, or Twitter and stuff, you get that little extra bit of info underneath, um, underneath your link that shows the, the image and the, uh, the, the text there as well. So Brody's saying here, make sure you run your images for each one of your posts through this card validator tool to make sure that that shows up and shows uh, well, because that's likely going to be carried forward into Google Discovery. Um, he says here also, whenever I create feature images, very important for Discover, I tend to aim to make sure that important elements are centered. This is on the off chance that Google uses the image as the thumbnail in search, which does happen regularly. So point two there, make sure that when you create these images uh, of that size, so 1600 by 840, uh, make sure that you center the main features in the image so that you don't get anything cropped or cut out or compressed in a way that makes it unreadable. Um, moving on. On the subject of thumbnails, I've done various tests where I've altered only the open graph image on a page and Google has used that instead of a lower quality image that's visible on the page itself that has alt text and various supporting content. Again, open graph image is important. So again, here he's saying, make sure you, uh, make sure you 
run your image through that open graph make sure you use an open graph image because it's very likely that if google doesn't like your main featured image uh, and the sizing it's going to use your open graph final words on getting discovered and wrap it up here images in general are important but everything else is also important too like the headline used the content of the article where it's published and various signals around the web to show that it's a worthy post but if you don't have a strong image to support your article i'm a firm believer that in a lot of cases you could be missing out on hundreds or thousands of clicks Think of the CTR implications of imagery in a feed like Google Discover where imagery takes up so much space and correct sizing takes up even more. When you're developing your next piece of written content, think to yourself, what can I do to make my feature image more attractive to Google Discover? Okay, that was a long one, but to wrap it up here, let me cover off the main points for you so you can get this in your head and think about this. Um, maybe go into your blog today uh, or post something today and run this through yourself. So the main points are to be featured in Google's uh, Discover from the case studies that we've seen here, we need to make sure that we're optimizing the, the images for the articles that we're posting. There are many other factors, but that is extremely important. On the note of images, here's the main points. Number one, HQ images. So make sure you use high quality images. Uh, unique images, preferably uh, professionally designed also. You don't want to be featured in Discover and then have your image um, you know, not look so good. You don't want to have you know, a grainy picture or photograph you've taken on a mobile phone if you can avoid it. Uh, make sure that you've got sizing correct. So 1600 by 840 where possible. Google does limit uh, list, sorry, 1200 pixels wide for its uh, images. So you may have a bit more room there to go under if you have to. Uh, number two, make sure Google has the right to publish your images. So if you're not using AMP or if you don't see your images, you know, showing up, maybe you've no indexed some of them, um, make sure that Google can post them. If you're still not sure, you can find this, uh, the link to this article in the show notes and you can go there and make sure you uh, complete the Google form. Number three, center the main elements of your image. So, you know, it's great to have a big header image and whatever, and that may look good on your website or Facebook feed or whatever you're, you're looking at, but for uh, Google Discover and probably for sharing on Facebook, if it's not a header image, etc., make sure you center the main elements so that nothing gets cropped out. Uh, that also applies for thumbnails in search too, which is happening more often. Uh, and number four, the point here is use card validator for open graph. So use a card validator or open graph validator from Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, you can probably do a quick Google search to find those. If not, again, there are links to those in this article. And that's it. I hope that helped you. Uh, there's some clear, actionable points there. Um, on the first post, definitely go through and look at your, your funnel, um, look at your CPM marketing as well, see how you can update and, and uh, push more people through your site. And if you want to try a little trick and get uh, put on Discover, go and assess the images that are on your site, assess them before you put them up now on your blog and see if you can get yourself featured there. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. A uh, much longer episode than I intend to have in future. Uh, again, uh, and as always, please subscribe. If you do have feedback for me, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick Herbert, H-E-R-B-E-R-T, zero, 
all one word, no spaces, dashes, dots, anything. Uh, I'm so open to your feedback. Um, thank you again for listening and goodbye. Thank you.